Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 17 for February, what is it, 16th, 2009. I am your host, Jeremy Bray, as always, which you can, I am more easily found by Googling PCNerd37, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are going great. 26 days to South by Southwest. Yeah, I'm still not sure if I'm going to that. I want to go. I'm just not sure if I'm going to make it down there or not. Although if I go, I'm not looking forward to the nice long drive. I figured it'd probably be at least a, I don't know, I figured probably like a 10, 12-hour drive would be my guess, which I I hate long drives. I'm not sure how far away from uh, Denver you are, but um, it took me 17 hours to drive to Denver from Austin. Yeah, we're about two hours south of Denver, so that's probably close to 15 hours, but but yeah, I wanted to stop in Dallas to check out that King Tutankhamun uh, traveling exhibit that's going around, because it's supposed to be there. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, I've always been a real big person into Egyptian archaeology, so I'm, I've been really excited wanting to go down there for that. But... Well, I know last year, um, Callie Lewis wasn't able to make it to South... Well, she was only down for a day, so she did a meet-up in Dallas. So um, I wonder if she's doing something like that this year. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't even heard who all's even going to South by Southwest this year. I think I heard Justine saying that she was talking about it, but I don't know about Callie or anybody else. I, I would assume Callie would be there. And... Yeah, I I I just found out last week that I will be going definitely. Um, I still don't know exactly what in what capacity, but uh, I do have my dance car full of uh, parties. Well, that's cool. What all what all parties are there this year? Uh, there's a Facebook party. There's several um, FG squared party. Uh, there's Microsoft has they're having a little shindig, um, just a lot of small. Uh, there's a frog design party. There's of course the the award ceremony. There's a lot of little things all around town. Hmm. Yeah, when I went to TechCrunch 50, I did the MySpace party, and that was pretty good. The DJ was great, and the DJ happened to be that uh, oh, I can't think of her name. It's that Samantha Rosen or whatever. That's that. Lindsay, Lindsay Lohan's girlfriend and oh, she did great although the music was a tad loud as to where you were screaming at each other just to hear each other uh, that's usually how it is and I was like that the music's way too loud for the venue yeah it, it was it wasn't very easy to communicate with the person next to you but it, it was still a good time though but that's really the only actual party party I've ever been to. But yeah, it's it's going to be good this year. I hope. Um, let's let's move on with the show. Yeah. Uh, before we run down the stories, there is one thing I want to mention. Um, did you do any of the Twestival stuff last week? Oh yeah, yeah. It was a blast. Yeah. Well, since I didn't wasn't able to make it out to any of the Questivals like I would have liked, just because closest one was Denver, and I really didn't care to drive two hours for it. I decided, as a way of raising money for Charity Water, and I've already made my 
donation to it, but as a way of doing more, I'm going to donate 10 cents for every podcast subscriber we get to both this podcast and my Geek News Daily podcast. And that ends as of Saturday at midnight, I think I said Eastern Time. So, for how many of our subscribers we have at that point, I'll donate 10 cents per subscriber. So, that that's just kind of my way of helping get more for the charity. Up oh, to that's awesome. Yeah, I'm doing it up to $1,000, but since I haven't had a single subscriber take up the offer so far, I'm not optimistic of hitting that mark. So, Alright, well, I'll resubscribe like four or five times. Yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, that's enough of that. We can go ahead and get on with the show. Today, all the stories we have for today include New York looks to tax downloads. Confirmed Microsoft opening retail stores. Microsoft announces Windows Marketplace and My Phone for Windows Mobile. Apple sells jo- says jailbreaking iPhones is illegal. Palm Pre gets Flash support. Google now accepting paid apps in Android market. YouTube tries micropayments and down and more download options. Online thieves scam state of Utah out of 2.5 million. Facebook's new terms of service causes outrage. And a Canadian judge uh, says that there are no warrants needed to access ISP logs. Those stories and much more when we come back on the Global Geek News Podcast. Podcast. This is show number 17. If you'd like, you are more than welcome to follow us along, and you can find the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And don't forget to check out the Global Geek News blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or you can just hit the blog link on globalgeeknews.com. Anyway, let's go ahead and dive right into our stories. Apparently, New York State is aiming to tax downloads. Apparently, to make up for their $15 billion budget deficit, Governor David Patterson is suggesting a tax on internet downloads, which is the so-called iPod tax, and they're looking at a 4% fee on all music and video downloads, including porn. This seems like a, a simple solution for a very, very complicated problem. Uh, there is no way to determine what someone's downloading and where they're downloading it from necessarily. So 
if I flew to New York and I had a like a 3G card in my laptop, would I get charged for downloading content in that state, even though my wireless card was purchased in another state? Yeah, that was my first question when I thought about this was do, using like a 3G card or using a cell phone or something like that, would it be based off of whatever state the tower that you're getting signal is in or how exactly that would work? I mean, I could kind of see this if you're, if they know you're using computers in a public place in the state of New York, like a coffee shop or something like that, but when you're using something like a 3G card or whatever, I don't know how they can easily determine that kind of stuff. And I think it would probably get even more troublesome if if people started using proxies that just happened to be in New York. And this is only speaking of music and video downloads, so there's going to have to be some sort of deep packet inspection to figure out what this type of content is. Um, if I'm doing uh, like a, a secure socket layer transfer, then no one can really eavesdrop on that content. And let's say I just zip the content. Um, how are they going to know what's in that zip file? Um, and also, who is keeping track of this? Is this the ISP? Is this the state doing their own some sort of uh, uh, listening onto all the ISPs that, that has traffic through New York to figure out who gets charged? And what's the facility of paying this? Is this pay-as-you-go? Like every time you do a download, is this a, a, a tax bill you pay at the end of the year? This is just totally big question mark on how this, is, will, ha this will work. Yeah, I don't know if it will work. I would assume that if they did it, it would probably be on the retail end. So something like Amazon, if you go and buy a song off the Amazon MP3 store, they would char it would be Amazon that would charge you the tax and then forward that along to the state. That that would be my guess on how it would work. Although I'm kind of curious to see I, I heard a how it would affect like st streaming services. That That would be interesting. I remember they were talking about this for interstate traffic, where things are being delivered, but those are physical goods that are physically being shipped, and you would have a physical address that said this is what state you were in. Um, but what what if I'm on the border? What if I'm in the border of New Jersey and New York? Um, do, do I still get charged? I mean, because I might have an ISP that's New York-based, but I'm just over the, the, the state line in New Jersey... Do I have to file a grievance? Um, what kind of information do you are, are they going to have to start gathering from their their users? And do they have to maintain this on their end so they make sure that some of that revenue gets paid to the state of New York? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of issues with this. If it goes through, I just I see it being a huge issue, and I can't and I certainly see it being more as an encouragement for people to go back to pirating stuff than actually paying for stuff again. But, I don't know, I think I think it's just going to end up into more trouble than it's worth. Yeah. I, I don't think this will pass. And if it does pass, it'd be hard to enforce. And, um, I remember, um, when they started doing this initially, some people were, or e-commerce sites were caught off guard. And they said, check this box if you're in the state. 
and it just relied on um, the, the, the individual person to say whether they were or were not in that state, and that's how they chose who to charge the extra fee, and it didn't take long for people to realize, don't check that box and so you don't have to pay extra money. Yeah. Well, I guess moving along to our next story, speaking of spending money to buy things, apparently it looks like Microsoft is going to be opening up some retail stores again. Yeah, this is an interesting idea. I thought that they would move more into what Apple does in Best Buy, how they have like their own little corner in Best Buy where they sell Apple products. But uh, reading the story, it seems like a full-on brick-and-mortar with nothing but Microsoft. Yeah, I would think almost a partnership would make more sense just because opening up a bunch of retail stores across the country in this kind of economy just doesn't make any sense at all. I, I, I could certainly see them going in, taking over their own little corner of Best Buy or whatever, but I, don't, I really don't see them doing anything in terms of a physical store that would actually stay around. I mean, they, they've done a physical store in the past, and they weren't able to keep it open. Also, that these stores with Microsoft products, currently people who buy Microsoft products aren't trained to go to the stores to buy it. Uh, usually, when you buy a computer, you usually check what software that you want it to come with from the OEM and you don't realize, oh, I want the new version of Vista or 7 when it comes out and go to the retail store. Usually you get it with a new computer. So is this just another computer store? And if it is just another com computer store, how is Best Buy and all these other computer stores going to like the, the, the competition that they're getting from Microsoft? Yeah, well, and if they did that, whose machines would they be selling? Would they be partnering with... Dell or HP or Lenovo or who to sell computers. I don't know. That That's why I think I kind of go along with the idea that this seems to be I would think it would be more entertainment based where it's more based around like the 360 and some of the home media stuff that Microsoft does rather than their actual software. I mean I'm sure they'd sell that too. But I think that it would make more sense for them if they went with like the media things, working with Xbox 360 and stuff. I, I would see this being very successful if they could find a way to tie all their software and all their different strategies together. Like if they said, okay, you buy it from the Microsoft Store and then we'll come to your house and we'll hook up the media center, media center to your TV. We'll hook up uh, the home server to all your systems. Uh, we'll network all your printers. We'll make your Xbox 360 a media extender. And if they tied all that together and made it a real solution to seem like it's a custom package with all these Microsoft technologies making it work, I can see that being very attractive because some of the stuff can be very complicated out of the box to make sure that they're all talking to each other and being networked. Um, that kind of service, I could see them strive, um, str uh, doing very well, but uh, just selling Microsoft products. Yeah, I think uh, they would. The only way they even have a chance of competing with like an Apple store is 
if they offer the same or better services the store I could take my computer in say I've got some kind of a issue with Windows or something take it in have it looked at have them fix it much like there's the genius bar or whatever for the Apple stores I I think that's what they need to do and then doing something like what you said doing kind of an at-home installation of like their media servers and doing the media extenders and all that kind of stuff I think that would be one way to almost leap ahead of Apple in terms of customer service there but at the same time they have to do it in a way that they can easily compete with someone like the Geek Squad yeah, they they have to set themselves apart from the field and really establish themselves as not just this is another Microsoft strategy, but kind of how Xbox separated themselves from Microsoft and says we're our own entity and we have to have a vision to succeed and um, be relevant in the future. So if they're not looking on how they can be more relevant and just just be a store with just Microsoft products, it won't work. They're going to need to have a strategy to say, what is the store going to do that you can't do online or you can't do in other retail chains? Yeah, I, I think it can be done, but I don't know if, if they're going to be the ones to do it. They've they brought in some big guy that used to um, be some board member at Walmart for 25 years, so maybe he might have some insight on how to do it. But speaking of places to get Windows stuff apparently there's going to be a Windows Marketplace and a what's called the My Phone on the new Windows Mobile 6.5 that was announced today at the World Mobile Congress in Barcelona apparently the Windows this Marketplace makes me... oh, go ahead no, go ahead uh, I was to say this makes me very happy and this makes me very mad at the same time yeah I guess the Windows Marketplace is supposed to be like the app store for Windows Mobile, whereas my phone is kind of a way of like syncing up all your contacts and stuff like that. Syncing it up to the cloud what, to store what, you can access it from the web. That's very convenient. Actually, I use Plaxo, and that that um, does the same thing. Uh, I pay for that service. Um, one thing that really bugs me about this announcement uh, that it, I agree, it's very convenient is very nice to hear um, but as a current Windows Mobile phone user I don't see any reason why this has to be tied to Windows Mobile 6.5 in any way I can't see why this cannot be utilized with with current Windows Mobile phones yeah I'm not real sure either other than maybe with as many people that don't care for Windows Mobile and think that it's just a bad experience compared to like an iPhone experience the only thing I can think of is they're just kind of wanting to move on to the next operating system and do and as to where they can do a better job of integrating it into that experience rather than going back and integrating it into what they have now. Well, this is a huge opportunity in which they could have used it to say, "Hey, um, this is where we're moving. Uh, this is where we're going forward," and uh, to all our lawyer. Uh, loyal users that currently have Windows Mobile phone, phones, this is how we can add value to even those old platforms. Uh, currently, uh, they've deployed, uh, deployed uh, Windows Live uh, Mobile to mobile phones. 
Uh, they've deployed other software uh, to mobile phones, and they have not really limited it uh, to uh, they to to five, six, six point one devices. But I don't see why this software should be limited to only six point five devices. Uh, it seems like I've kind of noticed with Microsoft that whenever they have the next big thing at least announced, they pretty much stopped doing just about anything for what's currently out there. And I kind of noticed it when Vista came out. When Vista came out, they started talking about when all the updates and stuff for XP were going to die off, and now they're, they've extended that date thanks to netbooks, but they're still talking about that now that Windows 7 is coming out, and when the Xbox 360 came out, they kind of stopped messing with stuff with the Xbox, and it only makes sense for me, from where I'm looking, for them to do that yet again. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, when I was at CES, uh, Microsoft did not confirm or deny that there was a 6.5. They didn't even want to talk about Windows Mobile 7. They didn't want to talk about anything. Uh, so now that they've made a formal announcement, hopefully some of the hard questions can be answered and maybe there is some sort of developmental limitation as in the way the software is written to prevent it from working on old, older devices. Uh, if I do hear that, I'll feel more comforted. But uh, until then, I think this is a travesty and really, really needs to be rectified and fixed. And if it's not, I'm sure that uh, XDA developers will find a way to get it hacked onto older devices. Yeah, I, since it's supposed to have 20,000 apps and when it comes out later on this year, and if there's that many apps for Windows Mobile already, I, I'm sure that people are going to try and work to have some kind of a jerry-rigged version of the marketplace on older devices as well. And if I was a developer, why would I want to limit the user base to 6.5 6 uh, devices since this is going to be brand new? There's not going to be all that many devices out there, so why would I want to limit my application even though I know it runs on all these other platforms? Yeah. Well, I also saw earlier today, uh, I saw a thing where... Apparently, Microsoft is partnering with LG to make 20 new Windows mobile phones. So I think there's going to be a lot of phones out there when this starts to come out. But I think a lot of the things that a lot of people don't think about is that when most people get a phone, they're tied to a two-year contract. So this Windows Mobile 6.5 and all this Marketplace stuff could be out for two years before a lot of people even really get a chance to try it because their contracts on their current phones haven't expired. Yeah, um, unless they do some sort of aggressive uh, uh, policy in which maybe the App Store can subsidize the the price of unlocked phones. Um, let's say if I paid a monthly $15 subscription to this App Store and I would get to have a couple of few free downloads a month uh, with that $15 with that subscription, I bet they could sell some unlocked phones for some uh, some cheap prices if they got that steady revenue stream for uh, having a subscription to the, the Windows Marketplace. Yeah, they might. And speaking of unlocked 
phones, and our next story, apparently Apple is saying that jailbreaking iPhones is illegal. I've never heard of this before. Uh, I've heard of mod chips for, uh, like, the Wii and for the old-school PlayStation 2. Um, Unlocking the mod chips themselves were were not seen as illegal, but modding the the consoles were seen as illegal. Um, but that was physically cracking it open and soldering something proprietary to circumvent what was already there. But this is just talking about editing the bootloader. Yeah, apparently this kind of goes all around the DMCA because I guess every couple, every I guess it's three years they have a rulemaking session to see if there needs to be any exemptions that are filed with it. And I guess the Electronic Frontier Foundation it filed for a, an exemption request for jailbreaking iPhones for the purposes of interoperability and independent software, or in other words, basically everything that's not that doesn't go through Apple's little walled garden app store. But apparently they're saying, or Apple's saying that they can't do this, it breaks the law, because supposedly in order to jail, jailbreak the phone, you have to bypass certain security measures that have, put in, that have been put in place to protect the bootloader and the operating system. I think they're close to a Microsoft-esque uh, closed uh, IE, EU kind of suit, and which uh, it might be seen as uh, uncompetitive since people can't they have to pay to play in order to be on the iPhone and people can't just load their, their own applications on it uh, since they control the hardware they control the software and they control the store uh, I agree with the EFF to say that not being able to jailbreak your iPhone is anti-competitive yeah I'm kind of curious to watch how this plays out because the Apple tends to get its way most of the time, yet, and the EFF is pointing out that courts have long recognized that copying software while reverse engineering is fair use when done for the purposes of fostering interoperability and independently created software. So I, assuming that's true and that courts have often upheld that, it wouldn't surprise me to see them have some kind of an exception for jailbreaking phones. Yeah, I'm wondering why they're, uh, it seems, of course I haven't read the whole document, but it seems like the EFF is specifically calling out the iPhone, which I guess it's the only locked, fully locked platform out there, but uh, I don't, I I hope that they've they've written in such a way that it uh, not only uh, goes on the book to help all the iPhone users out there, but all future phone users in which a closed platform might be introduced. Yeah, I have a feeling this could get real ugly, but I don't know. I, I'm i certainly on the side of the EFF with this. I've never been a big fan of the way Apple's kind of running their little walled garden and saying, well, this app can be on the App Store, but that one can't, but we won't tell you why that one can't, we'll just say that it can't be on there. So I, I'm i certainly glad that they're challenging it, and I hope, and hopefully there's some other 
good exceptions that are brought up for the DMCA because that's probably my least favorite law anyway. Outside of yeah, the, well, what... like speed laws for riding in cars, for driving in cars and stuff, I hate speed laws too. Yeah, I agree. Um, one app that won't be in Apple's App Store that you might have to jailbreak to get it on is Flash Support, which looks like uh, the pre is going to get before the end of the year. Yeah, apparently Adobe's working with Apple to get a stripped-down version of Flash on the iPhone, but apparently the Palm Pre is going is I guess Palm's going to be a part of Adobe's open source project, which means Pre is going to have support for the Flash, which just kind of makes sense considering it's web OS and it's supposed to be all internet friendly and everything. It sounds only natural for it to have something like Flash. This is uh, the sound of a nail in the coffin of the iPhone. Well, not literally. I mean, this is not going to overtake the iPhone, but this is probably going to force Apple to change their strategy on not allowing Flash on their phones, uh, especially when they still have the commercial saying the, the full web in your pocket. Yeah, the more I hear about this Palm Pre, the more I want it. And it's got the copy and paste that came out last week that you can do data tethering with it. Now it's got Flash. Supposedly it's real easy to develop applications for it. I guess there's already like Pandora applications for it and stuff that it took them just a couple of days or whatever to come up with their own applications for it because it's real easy to make stuff for and everything. So I don't know. I, I almost wish I wasn't under contract with my phone it almost even makes me kind of wish I wasn't such a huge Android fan with as nice as it's sounding. And although the, I, I hear I'm, the pre also makes phone calls. Yeah, I suppose that's probably the important thing in a phone. It'll be interesting to see how Adobe, Adobe uh, aligns their partnership with, uh, now with Windows Mobile, now with the Palm Pre. Uh, next it might be Android, and We'll see if they're going to purposely snub Apple or something. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see just how much traction that Palm can get with this, because if Palm can't do anything with this and this doesn't really catch on, then Palm is essentially done for and they'll be long gone. But I don't know. It seems like the mobile market is kind of crowded as it is. I mean, you got Nokia, which is all their Symbian stuff and everything, is still the market leader by I think like 60% or whatever and you got the iPhone the Blackberry the Android and Windows Mobile that basically all dominate the um, smartphone market I'm not real sure that there's much in the way of any room for Palm to even try and stay in this market yeah we're reaching pretty good saturation market, but if they can uh, position themselves as an entry-level smartphone for those who are just now getting into the smartphone scene, I think that they would have uh, a, a good chance when you're talking something that's consumer-ready, because a BlackBerry and a Windows mobile phone is not good uh, for a consumer. The only other device in that market would be the iPhone, and if they add enough uh, extra features like flash and the tethering it might be the consumer phone of choice yeah i i would say it can certainly hold its own based on what it can do 
just trying to win over minds and market share, I'm not sure it can really accomplish that at this point, but that'll be something worth watching. Yeah. And moving to the next story, we're talking about Google uh, is now accepting paid apps in the Android market. Um, if they did want to deploy uh, Flash, they could do it this way. And even uh, and, and uh, Adobe can get some money from it. Yeah, there, there's ever since Android came out, there hasn't been a there's a, been an app store or Android Marketplace or Android Market or whatever it's called, but there's never been any paid apps. They always said it would, wouldn't come until the first quarter of this year. Well, I guess as of last Friday or whatever, you, they're now accepting paid applications and they should start showing up in the middle of this week, which that's kind of what I've been waiting for. I was planning on doing some paid apps myself, but I want to get a G1 first so I can browse the marketplace and see what's there to see what kind of apps I can create and sell on my own. It'd be interesting to see exactly what kind of support uh, that they'll give people who actually pay for apps because when you get something free it breaks and you're, you're fine with letting that go but now when you get into the realm of pay apps you're going to hear people say, well, I paid for this and it didn't deliver, it didn't download, or now it doesn't work. I had to reflash my phone. Can I re-get that paid app? There's a huge logistical nightmare. And then I'm guessing T-Mobile is going to have to facilitate that trans, the, the, the transfer of funds. But then when you go overseas or you get an unlocked phone on another network, um, how is that going to work with this Android marketplace? Yeah, I'm not real certain I haven't looked in a while but as I recall I think for when you're buying apps and stuff I think you have to go and use Google checkout but I'm not 100% certain on that okay Uh, well that would bridge the gap yeah I mean it's certainly no PayPal but it's Google's attempt anyway yeah, it's, so it seems pretty straightforward. I just hope uh, it's. Um, I, I hope it works out. I, I, I am rooting for Android just like you. I, I think we do need uh, competition. Competition fosters innovation. Uh, innovation makes uh, everyone win. Yeah, I, I've been a big Android fan since the day it was announced. I'm a big open source person, so I. I hope that there's some more good that comes to this. I'm kind of looking at some of the new Android-based phones that are announced this week at the World Mobile Congress in Barcelona just because I, I want to get an Android phone, but I don't really want the G1 just because I hear about the horrible battery life. That That's really the only thing that's really kept me from getting one so far. That and the fact that I already have black And the contract. Yeah, I mean, I've already got a BlackBerry, but I could always stand to have another phone. There was, I don't know how many years there that I've had two phones. It wasn't until just this past July I finally went down to one phone. And what you're mentioning is that the App Store was handling transactions over Google Trans uh, Checkout. Looks like uh, YouTube is starting to take micropayments via the checkout service. Yeah, apparently this has only been rolled out to a few of the YouTube partners right now, but I guess you can now, under certain channels and stuff, download YouTube videos for 
how much ever the they want to charge for them like most i think I've, that have been seen are like 99 cents a piece and they come in high quality mp4 format so if you wanted to down i guess some of the partners that are doing it right now is like stanford and uc berkeley if you wanted to go and download some of their videos for 99 cents or whatever you could do that using google checkout this is a great service i'm glad they're following finally um offering this uh it's going to be a nice central place for people to pay uh, to charge for their videos um i can envision that you and i do the audio podcast for free and then we'll have the video podcast for pay which all the proceeds would go to charity water for example uh, i can see that other shows that I like, like uh, Buzz Out Loud, might have uh, a, a audio only, and then the video plus the post-show and pre-show would be uh, all sent to Google Checkout. So for me to purchase for the shows that sound particularly interesting and funny and I just want to get the video of, or any other podcast or even um, maybe a point of distribution like Hulu, which some premium content can be sent this way and have uh, have the ability to be downloaded and, and, and stored in my own personal library. Yeah, it's good that to finally see YouTube trying to do something to actually make some money. I mean, they've been starting to put ads on stuff, but still, last I heard, YouTube make really wasn't making any money, just kind of staying afloat. So it's good to see that they're... This is actually something I think they should have had a long time ago, but I think it's good to see that they're finally doing something about it, because up until now, yeah, you can get the videos off of YouTube, but it's not a very easy process where a lot of times... I've seen programs and stuff that can capture the YouTube videos. I've messed with those. I've done things where you go into your temporary folder in your browser and search through the cache and whatever and try and pull out the flash video to save it and there's just never been a real good solution and I think that even doing this for 99 cents or whatever the um, video uploader wants to charge is certainly an easier way of doing it than what currently exists yeah I just hope they revamp their whole UI to make this transaction a little bit easier it seems like they've added a lot of features to YouTube over the years, and they just keep shoehorning it in. And um, I hope they really rethink the UI and make it logical in their layout, so it'll be easy for someone to figure out how to pay for a video, how to make sure they paid for that video, and uh, get maybe presented with a, a higher class service since you are now paying for it, or potentially you could be. Yeah, they've needed a redesign for quite a while. Supposedly this should be. Uh, real easy to notice. I guess it's right underneath the video. There's supposed to be a little box saying you can download it for 99 cents or whatever. And then I guess you can take it, do whatever you want with it after that. But what's also interesting is now they're allowing Creative Commons licenses on videos. So most people, they don't think about the licenses and stuff when they upload a video. Some that do will just say in a little description, this is under Creative Commons, blah, 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 whatever. Well, now they have all the different kinds of Creative Commons licenses, so you can specify 
just how your video can be used and see how people are actually using your video, which is nice too. Yeah, I think this is going to open the doors for a lot of content creators and uh, give them a forum to distribute their video, whether it's free or for paid. And um, let's move on to the next story about online thieves scam the state of Utah out of $2.5 million. Yeah, one more thing I want to say about the YouTube thing before we move on is I'm kind of curious okay. to see what the um, share is, the share ratio on the sales is. So I know with Android, it's like the iPhone App Store in that it's 70-30, 70% going towards the developer, 30 going towards uh, Google. So I'm kind of curious to see if they go with that or if they go with like a 80-20 or what exactly the revenue sharing is going to be on that. But yeah, we can go ahead and move on to the next story. Where apparently there's been some thieves believed from Africa, most likely in Nigeria, that have managed to scam the state of Utah at a two and a half million dollars. Yeah, this seems like it stemmed from being able to counterfeit some genuine invoices and changing a few account numbers and um, having the money redirected to a, a bank account. Yeah, apparently this all started when some hackers somehow, I guess they're still trying to figure out how, whether it was from like spyware, poor security, somebody on the inside or what, uh, somehow they the hackers acquired a vendor number from the University of Utah's design and construction department well they had set up some bank accounts where they transferred money from the University of Utah to the bank accounts then they had up with all kinds of forged documents and everything then they started making requisitions and stuff for to get money for different things at the school from the state of Utah and eventually ended up uh, taking two and a half million dollars which by the time the state of Utah uh, actually noticed it, they were only able to freeze $1.8 million in, I guess, I think it was the Bank of America in Texas, as to where they actually only ended up losing around 700000 But that's still quite a bit of money. Yeah, and the scary thing is that the, 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 the school, or sorry, the state never really caught the people or caught that there was a problem it was the bank who was that noticed that there was unusual activity on that account with very large deposits that then notified the state and got them involved so if the bank didn't say anything and just took the money without uh, looking for the the flags of, of suspicious activity the state would have no idea that this happened and could have potentially lost all of that 2.5 million dollars instead of just the 700,000 yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if they even find out how this happened, whether it was spyware, poor security, or if it was someone on site that just happened to get access to a computer that had these special numbers and and just how it was that they pulled this off, because this is certainly not a small thing by any means. Yeah, the sad thing is they probably won't know who did it. They probably won't put in any safeguards that will last for any time to try to get this 
fixed so this doesn't happen again. It just it just seems like, hey, I got sent a bill to the city. I'll pay the bill, and I mean to the state, and then the state just pays the bill, without having it uh, pre-approved for a PO and then have that PO filled out. Um, it it it's very irresponsible in the way that they handle their money and. Uh, with this era of cracking down, hopefully, especially with this, uh, the, the new United States administration was talking about modernizing the government. Hopefully, they can get some funds to help uh, bring themselves up to the 21st century to fully uh, have records that can electronically trace all this if this doesn't happen in the future. Yeah, I have a feeling that especially students in the University of Utah are going to have some new security measures that they're going to have to deal with so something like this doesn't happen again. And I feel sorry for them for having to deal with any new security measures that happen to come their way. Yeah, only if they could automate it. Um, and that way they can figure out where this data stream is coming from and have it automatically chat instead of having a human uh, having to manually check every single order that goes through their system. Yeah, it's all about protecting the data. Speaking of which, apparently Facebook wants to keep all your data. Or at least that was the story going around Twitter and the blogosphere and just about everywhere today. Yeah, the terms of service were stated in such that anything you've uploaded, shared, or um, transferred through the Facebook service will be the property of Facebook. And Mark stated that, um, well they are doing this to facilitate the, the system of sharing the data so that nothing is lost. So if you and I exchange emails, um, Facebook should work that way that I should have a copy, you should have a copy. You should have something in your sent box, I should have something in my inbox. And just because you no longer have your email account, it should not delete the data off my end. Yeah, I, that's kind of what I figured was going on when I saw this this morning and and it certainly makes sense to me because if I mean, I may want to delete my account and all the data with it but if I've sent you messages and you've archived those messages there's just because I delete my account shouldn't mean that you shouldn't have some kind of a record of those messages still and I think that's just well, what they're aiming for right now well, I think his argument is flawed because he's comparing email to, that you sent to email that I got. Um, but I can understand that if there's your mail server sent from your server to my mail server and that's sent to my server. But in this case, Facebook is the sender and the receiver. And so they should be able to delete both sides. And it, it's that's because if email worked that way, I would like to, I would like it to work that way. Um, also, he in his end of his quote, uh, he's saying basically the internet doesn't work that way. There's no way to grant access to all this and then revoke it, um, which he's wrong about that. Uh, Open ID allows you to grant access to your information, then revoke it at a later time. So if he if if uh, Facebook did embrace Open ID with their Facebook Connect in the way that they were interoperable, 
they would be I would be able to revoke access to my pictures, my profiles, and uh, and 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 be able to retain my own data. And also, you got to realize that all this stuff is pinging the Facebook server. If unlike an email client that's locally and downloads all the email offline for me to to peruse later on, uh, there's not a fully uh, integrated Facebook offline client in which I can make a snapshot copy of everything. Everything's on the server, so if I delete it from the server, it should not be available anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I've i been... I kind of seem to be going back and forth on, on this issue. I, I see why they're doing it this way. It seems like this is probably the easiest way for them to do it. I mean, it may not be the best way for the user, but the same time the only way I can really think of to accomplish this is to where if I want to leave Facebook I can take everything with me but at the same time I don't necessarily want everybody else to lose any communications or whatever that they've had with me I think there should be a way of maybe like going selectively through all of the content that you've made whether it's passing messages um, comments on photos or anything like that and say, okay, delete this one, delete this one, don't delete this one, don't delete this one, but delete this one. Some way of like selectively doing that if you want. Yeah, that's why I think Facebook did this. I think uh, that they just wanted to make sure that they cover all their bases and that they are protected. They're thinking of themselves more than they're thinking of the users. Um, they want to say, okay, well, we can do whatever we want without... Uh, worrying about any repercussions because we own the content it's stated in the user agreement and so any future use and uh, anything that might come up they're always protected no matter what and they didn't want to come up with some kind of language in which there may be a loophole in which they may or may not be protected I think their their lawyers just got a, their hands on Facebook and said hey you know, if this situation happened in this case that could be a problem yeah. All it really gets me is this is by no means something new. I mean, this, I don't know how many months ago it's been. But basically, Sony's done the exact same thing with the PlayStation Network. Whether it's using, like, PlayStation Home or doing anything online with the PlayStation, period. And they basically, I've gone through the wording of it, and you can look this up in the Global Geek News blog. I uh, Maybe I'll, I'll have to look it up. I might try and post a link in the show notes. Uh, it, but it's been a few months ago where they sent out emails up letting everybody know that their terms of service was updated. 99% of people didn't even bother to look at it. I did look through it, blogged about it, and basically they're doing the exact same thing where anything you say, do, transfer, whatever is essentially theirs, they can do with it whatever they want, whether you like it or not, no matter what data it is that you transfer, it's essentially theirs. Yet, when I claimed it, no one paid the least bit of attention, I think the only real attention it got was, I think there was me one or two blog posts, and between the PlayStation, the official PlayStation forums, and the forums at GameSpot, I maybe got like 200 hits, or no, 2,000 hits on my blog, and I got banned from GameSpot because they apparently they didn't like what I had to say, I guess. I don't know. 
Yeah, there's a lot of license agreements that are out there that are just like this. And uh, I think, once again, it's depending on the service and its popularity um, is the reason why uh, it got so much press because Facebook is so huge. Uh, I remember hearing at one conference that I attended that if Facebook was a country, it would be the seventh largest country in the world. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I knew it was getting big. I, last I heard, I thought it was like 150 million users I thought I heard yesterday, I think. I'm not real sure what it's at now. It's it, it, That number sounds about right, though. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our last story which uh, a Canadian judge says that there are no warrants needed to get ISP logs. Yeah, I came across this story, I think it was this afternoon. Or, well, no, I guess it was last updated Friday, so I guess maybe that was it. But apparently a judge in Canada, this all revolving around a child porn case, which is sounds about right, apparently as far as he's concerned... An IP address is akin to a home address, and therefore there's no expectation of privacy when it comes to online activities being accessed by law enforcement. So basically, they can, and I, uh, the police can request information from your ISP about your online activities without even needing a warrant. A warrant. That doesn't make sense because if he's saying that an uh, IP address is akin to a home address, are they saying they can? search your home address without a warrant yeah I don't I don't know this isn't making a whole lot of sense and I, and I think if it was in any other case except for a child porn case it would it probably wouldn't even fly but I think everyone just has this whole thing around child porn that it's like okay we need to do all this stuff even if it clobbers everything else if that's what it takes to stomp out child porn, then that's what we need to do. And in the end, it does very little to child porn, and it ends up causing more headaches and everything else than it's worth. Yeah, and an IP address is not one-to-one. One IP address doesn't tie to one specific individual. Uh, you can have your IP address... Uh, I mean, the law... Of can get your IP address and they wouldn't know if it was you, your brother, your sister, your mother, a neighbor driving up and by on hopping onto your Wi-Fi. There is no one-to-one correlation that's guaranteed. Uh, it's it's nice um, uh, maybe building a case, but it should not be the sole element in trying to prosecute somebody for child pornography. Yeah, this is largely the biggest issue I've had whenever. I hear about somebody getting sued by the RIAA or whatever, and basically all they have to go by is an IP address. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can spoof an IP address or, like you said, use somebody's open Wi-Fi or whatever. So it really, and not to mention the IP addresses change all the time, or at least unless you buy a specifically a specific IP address that's static all the time. I mean, they they change so often that a lot of this information could be wrong, and it's very easy to get the wrong person or get somebody who, yeah, that may be their account, but somebody else is stealing the bandwidth and doing things they shouldn't be doing with it. Yeah, I've seen apartment complexes which 
uh, one floor above has an open Wi-Fi, and then uh, you have like several neighboring apartments using that open Wi-Fi. Um, I think this is a very bad case. I hope uh, that this will get appealed. Um, I, I, I am personally against child pornography, and I think it's a horrible, horrible thing. But I also hate bad laws, and I think this is a very bad law, and can hurt a lot of people down the road that's not uh, associated with child pornography. Yeah, I think this opens up a much larger can of worms than the judge probably realizes. Yeah, technical or non-tech savvy judges seem to be one of uh, the most dangerous things that's going to plague uh, our judicial system for the next few years until people get up to speed and understand exactly how their decisions can hurt innocent people. Yeah, the way I look at this when it comes to these judges that really don't know anything, or even lawmakers for that matter, I think we should have a specific class or at least a specific set of judges that know this information, that understand these things, that IP addresses is, can be a one-to-many relationship as to where they don't make these stupid kind of decisions or come up with these weird laws and whatever it's so that you have people that know what they're talking about, know what they're doing, instead of these judges that probably barely even know how to turn a computer on and yet they're the ones that are essentially dictating the laws revolving around the internet yeah, unfortunately these cases are turning into half education and half uh, law school and figuring out how those two can be merged <coughs> is something we, we're going to have to figure out and it's going to solve um, but also this is a Canadian court it's not a US court so I'm not exactly sure how stringent the uh, search and seizure laws are there, so that might be some a nuance that we might be missing. Um, but according to American law, I think that that comparison is totally unacceptable. Yeah, so do I. I it's things like this is that's why I'm really paying a lot of attention to the Pirate Bay trial that started today in Sweden. I mean, that, that's like the trial of the century for anybody likes the internet or is interested in peer-to-peer -peer piracy or anything else because that that really I think it's going to have a huge impact or could have a huge impact on the way things are done online yeah I'm, I'm waiting to see the outcome of that that's going to be very interesting yeah speaking of which uh, you can follow that on Twitter with the, the hashtag S-P-E-C-T-R-I-A-L, I believe, for those that want to follow it. There's also audio streams floating around, but last I heard, the everything was all in Swedish, so unless you understand that, you'll probably just want to follow it on Twitter, because I don't think there's any audio streams in English that I'm aware of, although I'm sure there could be some people rebroadcasting it in English. But anyway, I suppose that's pretty much we ha all we have for the show today so those of you that are wanting to check the show notes read more about the stories that we've been talking about that's at globalgeeknews.com don't forget to subscribe the subscriptions up until Saturday go toward all towards charity water 
for both this and Geek News Daily, geeknewsdaily.com. That's my other daily podcast, which I just realized I didn't get up a show today, but oh well. Hopefully tomorrow. Anyway, uh, how is your um, idea thing going? Is all is that still going on? Yeah, they extended the voting for another 16 days. Uh, I'm still soliciting votes, so uh, if you all could go to budurl.com, that's bud like the flower bud, url.com forward slash save the world. Um, check out my idea, and if you like it, please vote for me. Where are you at in the rankings, rankings on that? I'm not sure. Uh, I know the top 25 advance, I think I'm still in that... Um, in that range for now, but uh, they are soliciting entries from uh, Bill Clinton's Global Initiative, and so that could change in a matter of days of where I fall in that ranking. Yeah. Well, hopefully that works out for you, at least, if nothing else, hopefully you advance to the next round. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, those that happen to have any comments or suggestions for the show, you can either leave them in the comments on globalgeeknews.com or you can email me pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com Jeremy Bray at globalgeeknews.com I really don't care. You can probably even use webmaster at globalgeeknews.com and still come to me, so I really don't care. Just email me if you want to. Um, Also, if you have any suggestions for future guests, make sure to send those along to me as well. I'm always taking suggestions for possible guests for the show. Um, I think that's probably about it. Don't forget to follow me at at, at twitter.com slash pcnerd37 and same for friendfeed, just friendfeed.com slash pcnerd37 and you are wesley83 at twitter, right? Yes, yes I am. Joke. And I guess that's pretty much our show for this week. I'm not sure when we'll get the next show up. We'll discuss that, and I'll let you guys know on Twitter. That's all we have for tonight. Later.